I am uh, thankful, I'm humbled once again to come to grace and preach from God's word. Before I begin, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the privilege to proclaim your word. And so this morning, would you help me with clarity of word, clarity of thought, clarity in the good news? Would you help your people, spirit move, open our eyes and our ears so that we would believe and trust that you would be glorified through us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a question to start us all out with this morning. How's your faith this morning? How would you rate your faith this morning? It seems in this world that faith is this intangible thought that we need to have faith, have trust in this intangible thing. But that's not so for us Christians. We have tangible faith. Not just because our faith is a tangible thing, but because where our faith is placed is a tangible person who is alive and reigning. Now me and my wife, we, uh, we do watch TV every once in a while. And we recently wrapped up a, a show called The Crown. And it's an a overview, a documentary TV series about the life of Queen Elizabeth, who is the current queen of the British Empire. And it's her ascension into the throne. And there's a recent episode that struck, struck me because it dealt with faith, particularly the faith of Prince Philip, who is Queen Elizabeth's uh, now deceased husband. And in this episode, he's preparing to watch men land on the moon. And now I uh, feel old some days. However, I'm not so old that I remember this. I wasn't alive during the first first moon landing, but maybe you are sitting here and you remember that time. You remember watching those men land on the moon. And so while I can watch videos and pictures and see this happen, my experience is very different from maybe your own. But in this episode, Prince Philip is glued to his television, watching every newscast, watching every interview of these astronauts who are about to land on the moon, who do travel into space to do this great thing. And he thinks these men to be giants, almost almost Greek-like in their godhood. They're accomplishing something that he has longed for because his life changed when he uh, met Elizabeth and when she became queen. And he wasn't able to accomplish the things that he had dreamed of. His life had changed. And in this episode, he begins to wrestle with his faith, his faith in himself, his faith in these men, And his faith in God. He ends up sitting with a group of pastors and priests in this episode. Men who are struggling in faith. They're doubting God. They're doubting their call into the ministry. They're doubting what God is doing in the church. And he berates them. And makes fun of them. And mocks them for their faith. And later in the episode, he gets to sit with these astronauts, Prince Philip, and he gets to have a little one-on-three and interview these men and find out all these great things and, and hear about how awestruck they were that they were able to land on the moon. And he sits with these men and finds out that they're just immature children, that they were not awestruck at all, that they were more struck with him as the prince than they were with landing on the moon. And it pushes him into this really dark place. And at the end of the episode, he goes back with these men who he had mocked and berated earlier, 
and sits with them. And he recalls that his mom used to ask him, son, how's your faith? And he would mock her and walk away. And now here he sits humbly among these men and he answers this question, how is your faith? And he says this, I've lost it. And without it, what is there? The loneliness, emptiness, anticlimax of going all the way to the moon to find nothing but haunting desolation, ghostly silence, gloom. That is what faithlessness is. As opposed to finding wonder, ecstasy, the miracle of divine creation, God's design and purpose. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that the solution to our problems, I think, is not in the ingenuity of the rocket, or the science, or the technology, or even the bravery of these men. No, the answer is, is here, or here, or wherever it is that faith resides. I do now find myself full of respect and admiration and not a small part of desperation as I come to you pastors and priests, as I come to say, help. Help me. Prince Philip is wrestling with his faith and where his faith was placed. Now since this episode and since uh, the beginning of this year, Prince Philip has, has now passed. And I'm not here to say this morning, I think I know where Prince Philip's faith was placed, either then or Now, what I want to wrestle with is the idea of faith, our faith, because we should know, we should have assurance this morning of where our faith is placed and whether that is saving faith. So, maybe you can relate with Prince Philip. Maybe you're wrestling in faith. Maybe you have doubts this morning of how good God is. So while I say, what do we know this morning? Yes, God is good. Do we really believe it or are we doubting in his goodness this morning? So I want us to look at God's word because I think it's very clear that we do not have to doubt in the almighty God. And so in Hebrews 11, I'm going to start actually in context. So Hebrews 11:1, we're going to read through the whole chapter so that we can see our scripture this morning in context. So would you follow along with me starting in Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. 
By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. 
They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And now our text this morning. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's word. Now, faith is important for us as believers. In fact, the author of Hebrews also thinks it's important because just in this passage alone, he alludes to it or names it by word over 25 times. So the focus this morning, my aim, is that you and I, that we would live our lives by faith in Jesus alone, who himself gives endurance to complete the race before you. And a little background on the book of Hebrews. This letter was written during a time of great adversity. Its first readers were Christians in the Roman Empire who regularly were being asked to declare allegiance, allegiance to Caesar, and to name him as Lord. But for those Christians, they said, no, Christ is Lord. And that proclamation was a crime punishable by death. Hebrews was written to a fragile and embattled church. These stories from Hebrews 11 were reminders that the, to these early Christians that they need not live in fear, but instead could live with bold hope because their God was greater and faithful. They needed reminding that the Christian race is not a sprint but a marathon. They needed this reminder because they were wearied. They had settled into the world. They were losing a wartime mentality. And they had started to drift in this life without focus, without vigilance, and without energy. Sound familiar to anyone? I do want to caution us, though, that we cannot write ourselves into the Bible. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. These types of persecution that the church was, was walking through in Hebrews, that they were experiencing, we are not. We cannot equate the minute struggles in the West with the biblical persecutions that came by the early church or that are happening today in the Middle East, in China, in Russia, and in other countries. I would say this is a time for us to consider these things, to consider this to be a time to wake up and train for righteousness so that we would, we would be bold when these persecutions really begin. So every person in this passage, over 16 of them mentioned in Hebrews 11, are noted by the words, by faith, and that by that faith, God had commended them or favorably, favorably affirmed them. Early Christians knew these stories. I think we know a lot of these stories. 
We know the names, we know the characteristics, the conquering of kingdoms, enforcing justice, stopping lions' mouths, quenching quenching fire. They can be tied to Old Testament stories like Elijah and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I do find it interesting in verse 40 that the Old Testament saints are not perfected without us. It asserts both a redemptive historical difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament but also a unity across time of all of God's people. Though the Old Testament believers lived by faith, they were not privileged to witness the fulfillment of the great promise of God. Nevertheless, they too participate in the benefits of Christ's high priestly work, and along with us are made perfect. And those old and these new eras await a total perfection that will appear at the second coming of our King. We are linked by faith with these people in these stories. I want to do three things this morning. One, I want to bring clarity to who Jesus is. Two, I would like to explain faith from Hebrews 11. And lastly, because I love the question, how then shall we live? So point number one, who is Jesus? And I realize that for some of you, you'll maybe zone out during this part. Yeah, we know who Jesus is. So we need reminders of who Jesus is. We can be forgetful. At least I can as I'm approaching 40. I can be fickle. I need to be reminded of the greatness of our king. Maybe you're visiting this morning and you're seeking out who this Jesus is. Well, from the word... We can know a lot about him. We must be aware of who he is compared to, to, compared to how we might think about him. We must know who he is from the word compared to how the world might talk about him. We must understand who the writer is talking about when we say we look to Jesus. Because really if we get Jesus wrong, our theology is wrong. That our faith is now in an idol and we are damned. We must do the work of theology, specifically here around the person of Christ so that we can maintain solid doctrine. And I'm so excited about the Sunday school that's, that's happening tonight, systematic theology. It roots you and grounds us in the scriptures. Charles Spurgeon said that our faith is a person, that the gospel we have to preach is a person. And go wherever we may, we have something solid and tangible to preach. For our gospel is a person. Now the world may say, what then do you believe? Hear hear the glorious reply of the Apostle Paul. We preach Christ crucified. Our creed, our body of divinity, our whole theology is summed up in the person of Christ Jesus. Now the writer of Hebrews speaks a lot of Jesus right from the very beginning of this letter. To sum up the letter, you could say, Jesus is better. Starting in Hebrews 1, while God spoke through the prophets, he spoke in finality through his son Jesus. Jesus is better. While sacrifices were commanded and necessary for sin in the Old Testament, Jesus made a final purification for sin once and for all. Jesus is better. Moving into chapter 11, 
While Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice that pleased God, Jesus made the perfect sacrifice that pleases God forever. While Noah built an ark to save his family, Jesus is the perfect ark, saving all who come to him. While Abraham went by faith to sacrifice Isaac and figuratively received him back from the dead, Jesus was sacrificed and literally returned back from the dead, defeating sin and death forever. While Moses and the Israelites were faithful in the Passover by faith, Jesus is our perfect Passover lamb so that death has no sting. While Moses led a people out of Egypt, promised rest for them, Jesus led us out of the slavery of sin into eternal rest. While the people mentioned in Hebrews 11 were faithful through moments in this life, Jesus is always faithful because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is better. From all the scriptures, we know that Jesus is fully God. He is pre-existent, co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is before all things and hold all, holds all things together. Jesus is sinless. He can forgive sin and does forgive sin. He is fully man. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins and resurrected back to life and then ascended to heaven. He is in authority at God's right hand. To say it plainly, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only Lord, the only Savior, and the only way to God the Father Almighty. Jesus is better. What does it mean, in verse 2, that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith? Do we not conjure up our faith? The Bible says no, we do not. The Greek word for founder can be translated as author, captain, or prince. It means to be the originator or creator of a plan. In verse 2, it references back to a deeper teaching in chapter 2, that we must pay close attention to Jesus, the founder of our faith, lest we drift from such a great salvation. The Greek word translated perfecter in Hebrews 12, 2 appears only this one time in the New Testament. It means literally completer or finisher, and speaks of bringing something to its final conclusion. So putting these two words together, we see that Jesus creates, sustains, and completes our faith. Christ has created our faith, and therefore he will watch over it and care for it and sustain it. Hebrews 12 goes on to say that now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. To be seated at the right hand is to be seated in a position of honor and authority. In his letter to the Romans, the apostle said that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Jesus is aware of you right now. He knows exactly how you are feeling this morning. He knows exactly what you need. And he's going to the Father on your behalf. Jesus is the reason why you have access to God. This access is unconditional love and mercy by faith. You just go to him empty-handed. That's the Jesus that we look to by faith. That's the Jesus who receives us gently by grace. 
So, point number two, what is faith? Well, thankfully, I don't have to define it for us. Webster cannot define it for us because God does in his word. Verse 1, chapter 11 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. To put it simply, faith gives substance to our hopes and convinces us of realities we yet do not see. Faith is the essence of Christianity. Namely, it is a belief in, trust in, and a life committed to Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Under our own strength, our faith wavers. You ever notice that? When we think we can just sustain it on our own, it wavers a bit. And we start to doubt. But then we come back to God's word and we come back to prayer and we encircle ourselves with other believers, especially in this church, maybe your church. And you're reminded of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of Christ. This act of faith, it's a gift. It's an act of the heart and the mind by the Spirit to hope in, trust in God alone. See, faith, when weak, runs to the refuge and the solid rock of Christ. Christ's righteousness is the only grounds for our justification before God, and it is only by faith that we lay a hold of Him. Here's the beautiful thing. Christ declares you righteous, and we've been adopted as a son or daughter of faith, not for the worthiness or effort of your faith, but the worthiness of what your faith is in. Christ saves not your effort to conjure up faith. Therefore, because of this faith and because of the goodness of Christ, Jesus is our reward, Hebrews eleven six. He is the builder of the city that we long for, verse 10. He is the treasure beyond the riches of Egypt, verse 26. And he is the possession that surpasses all others and abides forever. And we, the people of God, are to cultivate and spread this unshakable confidence that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are better than what this life can give us and better than what death can take away. To say it as the writer, we tell the world that Jesus is better. Which leads us to our last point. How then should we live? If we are trusting in this Jesus of the scriptures, if we are seeing faith as a good gift from our Heavenly Father, if we are trusting in Him, convinced that He is for us and not against us, how then should we live? In chapter 12, we are told to look to the other witnesses of God's faithfulness, to lay aside every hindrance and sin, two different things, and to run the race with endurance Looking to Jesus. And this race is not a sprint. It's a marathon. This has been designed specifically by God to sanctify us. To continue to wean us from this world and to trust and lean on Him. This takes diligence and hard work. Discipline and perseverance. It's a process. We need community. It's why gathering on a Sunday morning is a part of this race. It gives us endurance in this life. John Newton said that I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. 
I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. The Apostle Paul. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Your life, this race set before us, looks different. Yet the finish line is the same. Those who surround us, these cloud, this cloud of witnesses, is the same. We can look to the same stories and be encouraged by the same people. Our hurdles may be different than another person in this space, but the means of overcoming them is the same. Faith in Christ. Now we can ask, How much longer will we have to live this way? How much longer will I have to run at this pace? And if we keep reading into verse 3, it tells us to continue to consider who Jesus is and what he did so that we won't grow weary or faint-hearted. There is strength by remembering who Jesus is and what he has done for you. He puts you in this race, he is strengthening you, and he will see you to the end. This is how we live, by faith. So first, these hindrances, these weights that, that uh, we bear, sometimes bear. Now as a runner, just clarify, I, I run a little bit. A few miles every summer, if I'm lucky, right? Some of you maybe are marathon runners. You're running multiple marathons every year, okay? If we're not runners, it's okay. We all know what it takes to run, though, either because our children have chased us, our neighbor kids are chasing us, or the neighbor's dog is chasing us. So as a runner, think of these hindrances, not necessarily things that are wrong, but they're hindering you in the race, okay? So don't, don't, See hindrances as wrong, but they're hindering you. They're slowing you down. Okay, these might be weights on your ankles, jeans instead of shorts, or wearing hiking boots instead of cleats. Okay? The hindrance of the Christian race can be thought of in a similar way. Because I think sometimes, too, they can be difficult to recognize and root out. Because it's not so clear that they're wrong, but they are hindering your race. These things get in the way. They slow us down in our pursuit of holiness and of Jesus. And sometimes as Christians, we, we ask, is this a sin or not? Which I think is a fine question, but it leaves some things out. I think it would be better to say, is this hindering my race with Jesus? Is it hindering my faith? Is it getting in the way of me glorifying God and enjoying Him? So the second part, sin, which clings so closely, this is in addition to the hindrances in verse 2. It is the opposite of faith. It is doubting that God is faithful, much like Adam and Eve doubted in the garden. I'm just going to do it my own way. I'm rejecting God. As a runner, this would be a very clear violation. Cutting across the track field, running around hurdles, Jumping on a motorbike at Grandma's Marathon. This sin 
The way the catechism frames it up, it is ignoring or rejecting God by not doing what he has commanded. This sin has been overcome by Jesus. Friends, cling to him by faith. Go to his throne as he forgives you and cleanses you of all unrighteousness by faith. So together, by way of application and and consideration of the text... I want us to walk through a few questions. Because everyone's race is a little different. What we tend to do is compare. We look to someone else and say, well, their race seems really easy. Or that person's race is really difficult. I'm glad I don't have their race. Here now, this morning, we have to look at our own race. We cannot compare. We cannot think ourselves ahead of someone else or behind someone else. You are exactly where God wants you to be this morning. So, question one, do I seek shortcuts in my race instead of being faithful to follow the straight and narrow path that God has laid before me? Do I ignore the commands of God that are made to sanctify me, train me for righteousness, and to prepare me for the persecutions to come? Does my busy schedule act as a weight slowing me down in the act of love toward others? Because the thing is, Being busy doesn't make you spiritual. It doesn't mean that you have a ministry. It just means that you're busy like everyone else. Is what I watch on TV or the music that I listen to, is it helping me to run with endurance and strength, keeping my eyes on Jesus? Do I value Jesus as my reward at the end of my race or am I seeking applause from the world? And what do I need to change in my walk with Christ to run better? Do you need to read your Bible more consistently? Do you need to go to our Father more consistently in prayer? Do you need to be in community with other believers? Let's ask God this morning to give us discernment about what is slowing us down. What's getting in the way? What sin is entangling us this morning? I would encourage you to be a part of a loving church. Now it may seem biased because I'm here preaching this morning, but I would just say that this is a loving church. I know the men who are shepherding this church. I know leaders in this church, and I will say that they love you. Whatever you came in with this morning, they love you. And they want you to see Jesus. May God himself bring clarity and boldness for us all to not be fearful, but to take steps of faith, trusting that he is with us. Now just as the writer of Hebrews said that time would fail for him to speak of examples of, uh, of faith, I would say the same. Time fails me to share about the faith of Polycarp, Athanasius, Augustine, Tyndale, Luther, Whitfield, Zwingli, Edwards, Fanny Crosby, Wesley, Bonhoeffer, Lottie Moon, Tolkien, Elizabeth Elliot, or Billy Graham. There are a multitude of many others whom you have never heard of. Though not famous, they were faithful men and women. They are all cheering you on by their example. Though they have died, they still speak. 
Friends, whether you ever be famous or not, you are called to be faithful because it pleases our God. He is pleased to say that he is your God. Just take your name and insert it right there. The God of the heavens is pleased to be called Colin's God. So, brothers and sisters, how's your faith? Maybe you were like Prince Philip. Maybe you were filled with doubt in God's goodness and purposes. I pray that this has been a reminder God is good. Run your race. Look to Jesus. Because today you are called to follow. Today you are called to listen. Today you are called to act like you believe. Because we are just a mist. We can only live one day at a time. So friends, cast off your sin at the feet of Jesus. Cast off the burdens that slow you down and come find rest in Jesus. Let us run the race with perseverance all the way to the finish line. Looking to Jesus who gave us faith, sustains our faith, and will bring us home in his faithfulness. Don't give up. Don't give up in this life. He is with you. Let's live our life marked by faith in Christ alone. And may it be for our good and to the glory of God. Amen. Let me pray. Father, this morning I am thankful that our salvation, our peace, our rest, our assurance is not based on the strength of our faith. It is based in your faithfulness, in your goodness, and because you have declared it to be so. Help us to lean into you this morning. Help us to come find rest in who you are, trusting that as you have said, that you will never leave us or forsake us. That there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And with a voice by faith that we can cry out, Abba, Father. I pray that you would continue to do a work in us, preparing us for today. Help us to be faithful today. For your glory and in the name of Christ, amen.